very happy to be here with you today. You know, in many ways, creating beauty is uh, sort of uh, esoteric, uh, maybe sometimes in our minds, not as an essential part of uh, the simple uh, agricultural gardening lifestyle. But, you know, for my personal feeling, I don't know why each of you are here. Uh, um, one question I'd like to answer, uh, we could ask you all, but I'm, I'm going to guess it's because God created in you the desire for beauty. And um, in Ecclesiastics, it says God makes all things beautiful in their time. And that also that he has placed eternity within the heart of man. And um, so you are created with uh, appreciation from a God who loved beauty and created beauty at the very beginning of the world. And he wants to make all things beautiful, you know, not, not just landscapes and you know, our gardens, you know, he wants beautiful relationships, beautiful music, beautiful uh, homes, beautiful lives. And so, you know, it's part of a life of beauty. And I, I really think that, um, you know, when you think of all the compelling reasons for there being a creator God, um, you know, in science, which I'm heavily into, you know, there's all this complexities of the... Uh, human body and the irreducible complexities you hear about that says, you know, we must have a creator God. But I really think the presence of beauty in the world, the beautiful sights that we see that have been created, that evolutionary thought really has a really tough time, you know, explaining the beauty that we see us around in the world. And I think that's the fingerprint of God in the world. And I think within your own hearts, um, you have, you know, you have that desire to create beauty that came directly from the Creator. Well, I would like to spend a little bit of time talking about these seven steps uh, towards creating beauty. And I, you know, you'll get these seven steps and a few of the questions that I've asked. <clears throat> I um, think that you know, the only pictures that we have of the Garden of Eden are, are artist renditions of what they think it might have looked like. And, you know, this is Nathan Green's viewpoint. You know, he's, he's mixed. Uh, if, if you're into international flora and fauna and so forth, he's mixed South American spoonbills and African lions and a waterfall from Oregon and Corpus, I mean, he's got the whole world there kind of in one picture. And I, I don't know what it looked like, but I do know that it was very beautiful. And Ellen White says it was exceedingly beautiful, probably beyond anything that various artists would have come up with that the Garden of Eden looks like. And so, you know, this first step uh, towards creativity is something that you don't have to work on because God has put it in your heart, okay? God created us in his image, men and women, with the desire to be creative and to reproduce and, and to tend what he created and even make it more beautiful. I mean, he actually, Ellen White says, gave us the role of, of building our homes from the vines of beautiful flowering branches. And, and he gave us the ability to create our own beautiful space. I mean, he wanted us to do that. So, you know, things that I share with you are not, you know, they're, they're things that might reflect my sense of beauty and I'll, but you know really when you leave this it's going to be about creating your sense of what is beautiful and what God has created in your heart and um, that starts at the very beginning um, but let me read this quote um, as the earth came forth from the hand of the maker it was exceedingly beautiful 
The surface was diversified with mountains and hills and plains, interspersed with noble rivers and lovely lakes. Graceful shrubs and delicate flowers greeted the eye at every turn. The entire landscape outvied in beauty the decorated grounds of the proudest palace. The angelic host viewed the scene with delight and rejoiced at the wonderful works of God. Isn't that beautiful? So that is what God created us into and, you know, created for us to do. I mean, you know, in, in uh, Genesis 2, I mean, this was the first work of man that God gave man. Um, most of you would not realize that um, in Genesis 2, the very next profession that was mentioned in the Bible, and, uh, you know, people are just kind of shocked when I say this, but the very next thing that could be considered a profession on earth was that God said that he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And so there's the first anesthesiologist right there. Um, and in fact, in Daniel chapter 12, where, um, where Daniel talks about there's going to be a time, and that day Michael shall stand up and there'll be a time of trouble such as never was from the beginning of the earth. And then he says, and multitudes that sleep in the dust of the earth will be raised, some to righteousness and some to everlasting shame. You know, to me, you know, as an anesthesiologist, I mean, we're not really about putting people to sleep. I mean, people think that's what it's about. You know, people say, I'll just knock me out. You know, you know honestly, one of my partners once said to someone that just was flippant, like, you know, just, just put me to sleep, you know. Don't worry about the fact that, you know, I have a 99% stenosis of my coronary artery and I've got a carotid stenosis and, you know, I'm, you know, one heartbeat away from dying. Just put me out. And he said to them, you know, anesthesiology is not about putting people to sleep. It's about waking people up. And, you know, that's what I live in fear of. I mean, much of what I do, you know, after 25,000 times of doing this, I can... I can do very safely and quickly and almost, you know, I'm thinking about my garden while I'm doing it. But I always live in the fear of, of, of waking people up. And, you know, there at the end of the world, what is God going to do? Wake these people up that are in the dust of the earth. You know, dust you were, dust you. So, I mean, it's just an amazing picture. And to me, that's kind of the anesthetic triumph of the ages, you know, waking people up out of the dust of the earth. Here's, here's to me, an important step in creating beauty. Simplicity. You know, um, I really love simplicity. This is like a pot off my deck. I used to try to like put like five or seven different kinds of plants together and try to get them all to bloom at the same time. You know, now I'm, I'm really looking for two or three things that are harmonious, that blend together, that's just simple and easy. And, you know, this is from this summer, you know, off our, our deck. And to me, just two or three things that are very simple. Uh, there's my grandson helping me water out of his wading pool. Um, you know, just simple things can be beautiful. They don't require a lot of complexity. And um, uh, intricacy. So here are some questions. This is on your handout, you know, that I wanted you to ask yourself in each one of these steps. Can, can I create a simple yet beautiful landscape? Should I take a minimalistic approach to landscaping and gardening? I, I love that the younger generation and many of you in this room have embraced this idea of minimalism and, and living a simple life. I mean, I think that that is just absolutely wonderful. My daughters and my son-in-laws are really into that. And, and you know, just don't make life so complicated and um, don't accumulate so much stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, I am 
totally sympathetic to people that have lost their home, like in paradise and so forth. But we, we tried to live a really simple lifestyle and you know, we, we didn't get power boats, we got a canoe and we didn't get downhill skis, we got cross country skis. But you know, over 25 years, you just end up accumulating a lot of stuff even when you're trying to live a simple life. And my wife and I have kind of looked at the valley below us and we said, you know, boy, wouldn't it be the easiest way of downsizing for just a fire to just come sweeping up this valley? And, you know, we would just start off and we would be more minimalist. I can tell you if we were starting over, we'd have a smaller house and we would have less stuff and we would, you know, do things more simply. Um, what will the plants that I choose require excessive upkeep? I mean, many of us are not, you know, able to spend, we're not full time out there, you know. I got to try to keep it simple in terms of what can be maintained and what can't be. I think you need to ask yourself that question. And my wife, if she were here, she would say, you know, oh, come on, Rick. Am I careful not to take on more maintenance than I can reasonably can be computed in the amount of time? And she'd say, well, you never do that. So, but I'm trying to help you. And you know, I think that you do need to really try to not take on more than you are able to maintain and, and, and keep appropriate. And that's a real tough thing for us that are, you know, have creative energies that God has put in us and we always want to do more and more. And you know, we just kind of extend ourselves into beyond what we're able to keep up. Um, this is a farm uh, only an hour away from here. This is the front yard of a farm. How'd you like to be living in this farm at the foot of Mount Adams? My last picture is going to be from near here. And, and for those of you that are young or old that are looking for a place to, you know, find a, a homestead, you know, there's still uh, inexpensive land out in this area. And my son-in-law and daughter-in-law are actually already looking for land out there. And it's just gorgeous. But I just want to show you uh, the house. This is a farmhouse. I mean, it's not a simple house necessarily, but their landscaping approach was very simple. You know, they just, they took this catnip, put a big, you know, pile of it there and some simple shrubs along the bottom. And yet it's just so peaceful and so beautiful and so simple and, you know, reasonably a uh, little amount of upkeep there. So, you know, that's just an example of simplicity. In Harare, Zimbabwe, in, in 1899, uh, when the colonial farmers were establishing their foothold in that part of the world, they, somebody you know, took these jacaranda trees and for one mile on either side of the road planted them 60 feet apart. And this is 120 years later of just one planting. And you can drive down that mile. And I mean, if you come to Zimbabwe in September or October, I mean, this is an incredible experience just to drive down this. And my wife, one time there was, there was a gardener out on the street and he was busily trying to sweep these all up off the street. And she, and she, she, she said, why are you, why are you taking those beautiful things off the street? And he looked really worried and he thought about it. And he said, he said, well, madam, I'm just trying to make room for more of them to come down. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, that's simplicity. Now, this is uh, from Buchart Gardens. Uh, I don't know if many of you have been there. This is the Japanese garden. Have you been there? I mean, we go there often. It's my daughter's favorite place. She went there on her honeymoon. You know, um, it's just gorgeous. A lot of gardening ideas. This is, t is this simple to you? I mean, is this beautiful to you? To me, this is beautiful. Now, at Buchart Gardens, just a few hundred feet away from this, they have another waterfall. I want to just show it to you and see what you think. Um, I think it's, I think it's attractive, you know, but I don't know what happens to you. What did someone say? 
It's too much, isn't it? I mean, the components of this are all beautiful things, and yeah, but your eye just kind of jumps from thing to thing, and you, you know, you don't know where to rest your eye, and you know, if I had a choice of sitting between, in front of one of those waterfalls, which one would it be, you know? Yeah. But I want you to look at something. See down this bottom right-hand corner, I have a picture of that. Um, is that pretty? All of a sudden, what, what, what have you done there? You, you've simplified the scene, right? And, you know, just two things, the coleus and the maidenhair fern, and all of a sudden you've got something that's very peaceful and restful and simple, you know? And look at another section of the, the wall there, you know? It, is that piece to you? I mean, some of you might find that attractive. I mean, it, it is pretty, and the components of it are beautiful flowers, and individually they're all beautiful, but when you combine them all together, it just, it's just a little too much for me. Yeah. Exactly. Nowhere to rest your eye. You just kind of jump from place to place. And so for me, I go, you know, over the years, I've just tried to develop a simpler and simpler approach to landscaping and trying to create beauty in our, in our spaces. This is Bouchard Gardens too. They've, they've recently, they've just taken to combining like two different flowers together, um, you know, that are complementary. And, and, and um, here's a couple examples, you know, just foliages that just blend together and are simple. And, you know, I can go and stand in front of them and just, just drink it in literally, you know. And, and I've tried to take some of these same things to my own garden where you just take two or three elements and very simply try to combine them together. These are a swallowtail columbine and a, and a, a barberry bush, golden barberry, that just, they bloom at this, you know, they're bright at the same time. And just looking at that simple scene gives us a lot of pleasure. And, you know, they'll disappear in somewhere else in the garden. Um, it's my wife, Anne, in front of our garden, uh, our front yard going into our house. And, you know, we've used like the catnips that up from mountain and um, different things that just, have complementary yet very simple things. I mean, I've changed the yard since this picture to even make it more simple. And, and honestly, we're trying to even simplify even more as, as, as we go. And, and the last step, which we'll get to at the end, which is patience, you know, growing a garden and gr growing the garden of our heart, you know, it's, it's really the work of a lifetime, isn't it? You have to you have to learn from your successes and your failures and change and just keep moving forward towards what your goal is and, and, and be willing to, to move. The, you know, grasses are very beautiful. This is in our yard, just combining like two or three different colors that are complementary. And, and um, this is also in our front yard, you know, just lilies and this Harko Nishiki willow. It doesn't take a lot of complexity, but for me, that's the kind of thing that, you know, makes me feel um, peaceful and beautiful as I try to simplify things. And that's something that I think you should consider as you're planning for your uh, spaces. And, um, this is a Diodorus um, from the Himalayas, actually, where my daughter is. Um, for an, I, I like the backdrops of creating just a simple screen of, a, of an evergreen. Um, hemlocks, I think, are a great backdrop. This is a clematis that grows on a fence in our front yard. And every time this comes out, this, these columbines are in bloom for a few weeks or months. And, you know, I just like that simple um, approach towards um, minimalistic landscaping. And it's also, we spent some time living in London um, 
uh, when my girls were, oh, fifth and sixth grade, I took a course in tropical diseases there because we do a lot of mission work and 80% uh, of what, you're, what you see out in the, um, the developing world is tropical diseases, you know, malaria and um, schistosomiasis and um, HIV and, tuber you know, drug-resistant tuberculosis, all these things. So I took a three-month course, eight hours a day, just studying tropical diseases, and it's been very valuable to me um, in mission work. But um, the British, you know, have been gardening for literally centuries, and I have a few pictures. I, I didn't put it in here, but, you know, the British, you know, have perfected the cottage garden where they just have all kinds of things that are coming up constantly. And, and I tried to reproduce that for a number of years after we got back from there, but, you know, it's a very high maintenance thing, and, you know, most of the British have, I mean, a lot of them have professional gardeners that are full-time out in the yard, and, you know, so that complexity comes at a price in terms of, you know, upkeep and that sort of thing. And I think for those of us that can't be full-time, you know, I think we need to simplify. So that's one. This is at Bouchard. This I wouldn't put in my yard, but, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. The contrast, very simple contrast of a couple colors. And um, do you like that? I mean, just two elements, just grass and alliums. And, you know, I mean... I don't think many of us would probably have that much space to to do this long border like these people did. But, you know, even a 10-foot of those two things together would just be a very, you know, there'd be the time of year when that came in that you would just really enjoy standing in front of that and drinking in that beauty. So third step is um, asymmetry. Um, I think in nature, when you look at nature, natural landscape, things are asymmetrical and you know things aren't in precise rows and you know as agriculturalists you know I mean it we end up you know planting things in straight rows because it's more efficient for machinery and you know taking care of and sort that sort of thing but when we're trying to create beauty you know this is from Bouchard Gardens also you know having curves and you know asymmetrical things I think really enhances the, the natural beauty, because I think, you know, the best that I can tell, that's the way God created, you know, the, I mean, what the Garden of Eden would have looked like. Everything wouldn't be in, you know, uh, rigid rows and that sort of thing. Uh, I just included, just because I love uh, some pictures from Colorado where, you know, I grew up. And, you know, if you look at great landscapes, like this is a few miles from where I grew up. Um, this also, uh, the Maroon Valley, some of you know that area. I, drove my wife up there to propose to her at this spot, you know, uh, not far from where I grew up. And, um, you know, but look at the asymmetry there. I mean, that's, that's just something peaceful about seeing ace, asymmetry and, you know, not having, when everything's in straight lines. If one thing gets a little bit off, then all of a sudden it looks bad, you know. But if you already have developed these graceful curves and so forth in your plantings, then, um, you know, nothing has to be, um, lined up exactly. This is up in Glacier National Park. This is the Tetons where I took my daughter to the top of that mountain when she was 12 years old and we, you know, built a great memory doing that. I mean, being in the out of doors and being in our gardens was just like what bonded our family together as they were growing up. Um, so here are some of the questions this will be that I think you should ask yourself. What are the 
features that make natural landscapes so appealing? Have I used natural appearing groupings of uneven numbers and irregular shapes? So, you know, when you see a plant that you like, you know, you don't, unless it's a specimen, you don't buy one, you don't buy two or four, you buy three or five or seven, so that when you start planting them, it's really hard to put them in these little square configurations. You'll get them more natural, so they look more natural. And whenever possible, even though you're farming sensibilities, say everything got to be in a straight line, uh, use curved planting beds and pathways so the eyes kind of just move easily across the landscape and just, you know, flow from one area of the garden to the other. So this again at Butcher Gardens, if you have an abandoned rock quarry like the Butchers did and a small fortune, you know, and 60 full-time landscapers, you know, you can create this scene in your backyard. But, um, you know, there, there are things that you can see there. I mean, look at the, the pathways, they're curved. Um, the, the individual planting beds there of flowers, they're all irregular shapes and flow from one, you know, one to the other. I mean, there's, there's a certain purposeful randomness in the way they designed that that I think is very appealing. And um, this is also from Butcher, but you know, see the curve uh, planters. I mean, wouldn't you like to sit down that every morning and, and read and have your devotions or something like that? And, and you know, you may be able to create this kind of space, but you can create a small space in your house or homestead that, you know, is peaceful and brings you closer to the creator. This is a little uh, waterfall that we created in our backyard. And our intent was to make it look like a Northwest Pacific uh, mountain stream. So, you know, it looked natural to us. And we actually, um, the quarry that we got the stone from um, put out a, um, a competition of people that were using their rocks. And so we entered into this and we actually got $2,000 prize for this waterfall, which covered all the expense of putting it in, which was an unexpected blessing. Um, and um, just this last week, I decided because I had never put any winter flowering, these are hellebores uh, that flower here. I mean, this, this is, these are in bloom here in Portland right now, these white flowers. So I put those in and again, I bought Five, uh, five of them and, you know, put them in an irregular shape. And, you know, I don't know what it will look like next year, but I think it will look very natural. And that's the, what our intent is uh, when we approach things. Uh, fourth step is creating harmony in your garden. And I, and I just love this picture. This is a picture that I got off the Internet. And I, uh, you know, I just think, look at the harmony between those shades of blue and the green and you know I mean I could spend a lot of time sitting in front of that garden and, and soaking that in couldn't you um, so here are some questions that we want to ask about harmony uh, how do I create a beautiful harmony between different elements of the landscape is there unity of theme and a sense of balance are the colors and textures of my plants complementary um, does the theme of my garden blend with regional flora and climate we get a lot of people moving up here to Oregon from California, and, and one, of the, one of the ways you can tell is that uh, some of them plant palm trees in their front yard, and you always know they're from California. And, and I, I, I want to be kind, but it, they just don't look well here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, to see a, in fact, I took a picture, and my wife and I were walking, and I didn't put it in, but you know, it was a picture of a guy, and he had a lace leaf maple on one side of the his walkway and he had a palm tree on the other side and it, 
it just really was sad. And I, and I took a picture of it, and he came out, and he was really indignant, you know, like, why, why, why was I taking pictures? And I just said, you know, I just enjoying looking at the landscapes and things like that. And, um, but, you know, things that, and, and people even come up here and try to grow yucca in the Pacific Northwest, you know, in their yards and cactus. And, you know, it needs to be things, you know, if I lived in the South, you know, I mean, look at the, which I did for a while, I mean, you know, the dogwood and the, uh, red bud and the azaleas and the mountain laurels. I mean, there's ways of incorporating those regionally, you know, um, appropriate things that just blend into the surroundings that you're at. And, you know, if, you, if I lived in California, you know, the desert things, you know, I wouldn't want to try to grow um, lace leaf maples down there and fight with the heat all summer and have them, you know. So choose regionally um, appropriate um, plants and then think about plants that will feed and attract birds and butterflies and wildlife. I mean, that adds a lot to your home. If, you know, we have swallowtail butterflies all summer fluttering around our place, and we have plantings that are, you know, currants that we plant for the birds, and we have tons of birds around our house and bird baths and so forth. So, you know, those are things that also create a sense of beauty and harmony. Um, this is our, uh, our Oregon Conference um, flagship church or largest church here in Oregon that Ann and I attend and it happens to be contiguous with the um, uh, hospital grounds up here and uh, you know I see one of my fellow elder uh, head elders from Oregon and I, I we moved here about seven years ago and you know in churches you know there's so much drama that goes on in churches and you know if you're an elder you you get part of that, and if you read the internet and you hear about all the stresses in our world, you know, it's just kind of sad, but, you know, I, I live by the, you know, what Ellen White said is that, you know, feeble and defective as it might be, the church is the one thing that God has, you know, put his, you know, divine credentials on, and, you know, I, I believe God's church is going to be triumphant, and I, I, and I think we got to move past you know, all the little things that are so distracting and so non-missional and so forth. So anyway, when I, I went to, the, we moved to this church and I said, you know, I don't want to, you know, be involved in any drama. I want to do something really simple. So I, when the, they asked me what I would like to do, no, I mean, I said, well, I'd be on the landscape committee. And I thought, you know, that's got to be the, you know, the nearest to God and, you know, the simplest uh, thing. And so when I got there, I found out within a few weeks that there were two different warring parties on the landscape committee <laughs> that had year-long feud. And they tried to take me aside and explain to me why this side, you know, this side was wrong. Side was wrong. Well, anyway, uh, I didn't join either side. I, I, I decided I was going to stay in the middle. I would didn't want to get in a war. So they had decided they wanted to re-landscape the front. And since I was the only neutral party in the landscape committee, they asked if I would drop a little plan for that. And some of them had been to my house. And so we, I remember that picture of simplicity. And so we, we tried to do this there. I mean, it falls short and it takes years to develop that harmony garden. But uh, what we did is we, we took simple, uh, elements and tried to repeat them like there's three different groups of these verbenias and the salvia and the, the hebe and so forth and heathers and our, our goal is to eventually coalesce them so that there's just kind of a harmonious 
blend of, of colors that are simple and easy to take care of. And the whole committee got out in the fall and we planted this all together as one big happy family and we've, you know, kept it up. And, you know, that can actually be, you know, I think our churches should be beautiful places that people drive by and see beauty and see God's uh, creative power at work. And, you know, that can be something that you can be involved in. Uh, we got a long ways to go before we'll get, get to this. But, you know, this takes years to develop and patience. And, but, you know, there's, there's the goal. And that's something that I like to hold out for you, that you try to create harmony in your garden and in your churches too, you know, if you can. Um, seasonality. Let me just see how we're doing for time. Oh, really running out of time. I'm going to have to pick it up here. Uh, you know, create things that are going to be attractive. Spring, I, I put a lot of the spring stuff in pots because they don't last very long and then you can kind of move them back somewhere out of the way, you know, when the summer stuff comes on. Um, sorry, everybody loves that. That's, that's our violets in our front yard and one of our girls' bunnies, you know, they played with when they were growing up. Um, this was just a week ago. This is a Nandina that gets this red color, which provides, you know, interest during the wintertime when things are pretty drab around here in Oregon. But, you know, you got to have things that create. This is a garden of a Northwest physician, Joyce Cho. Some of you might know her. She's uh, very into naturalistic. She's an ophthalmologist, but she does a lot of lifestyle teaching. And she just has this peaceful little garden in her yard. And I asked her if I could throw a picture of it on here. Um, so have I considered my landscape to be functionality is, I think, really important. You know, is there, is there a place for my family and guests to navigate, to seat for prayer and meditation, for eating areas, place structures, possibly a fire pit? You know, can I bring beauty into the vegetable and fruit garden? Uh, can I, uh, you know, consider pest control and pollination? I'm not going to get into that. But, you know, here's my, my grandson playing on the same uh, swing that his mother did 30 years ago. And, you know, we incorporated that into our landscape. And, it, you know, it's been, I, I love little boys because they, they like dirt a lot more than my little girls did. And, you know, my, my grandson is already out in the garden with me this summer playing. Um, and what about creating beauty in your vegetable garden? You know, incorporating flowers like nasturtiums, which, you know, have beautiful pest control issues, but they're also tasty if you've ever had them. We do a lot of salad rolls in our family. And this is my daughter. She made this salad roll that has nasturtiums wrapped up in it. And, you know, that's kind of makes beauty, brings beauty into your eating. You know, you sit there and you kind of enjoy that. And then you take a bite of this. I ate this one myself. And, you know, every bite of nasturtium gives that peppery flavor, you know, natural if you've ever eaten nasturtium. So um, in our spring, we grow um, a lot of kale and, you know, violet violas or um, <laughs> my daughter plays the viola, but violets and uh, pansies. Um, and then look where they end up on the table. My wife made this salad with, you know, kale and sprinkled the, the uh, edible petals on top. And it creates a sense of beauty and it, it brings practicality into your work. And uh, I just found this on the internet, you know, talk about simplicity. I mean, I've always grown my salad, nice little rows of alternating colors of salad greens. But, you know, if I was a market gardener, you know, I would, I, I, I kind of think I would try to have a little place where my customers would see some, just the beauty of growing food, you know? I mean, I, I just find that so beautiful. And I, I think I'm going to try to reproduce a little section of this in my garden this summer, you know, and see how it goes. And I probably, we probably won't eat any lettuce all summer, but we'll enjoy watching it in the garden. 
So finally, uh, patiently, um, I'm really at the end here. Um, you know, this is from England, and you know, it took years to create this little landscape of these golden rain trees built over arches, but look at the beauty the, of, of, of that that patience requires. So, you know, be patient, you know, wait for things to grow. I mean, this little Harko Nishiki right there is this one right here. It was just before my daughter's wedding, you know, and we had this at her wedding, and that was, you know, a fun place to take pictures and so forth. This is out in our vegetable garden. This is in Holland at Kirkengard, but, you know, there you have harmony, asymmetry, simplicity, you know, all mixed together and something that's very peaceful for the eye. This is kind of that happening in the Southwest Gardens. And this is an English border, you know. They had a straight row there, but look how they made the flowers flow out over the edge so it broke it up into asymmetry and harmonious colors and, you know, fairly simple. I mean, that's, you know, an ambitious garden, but, you know, it incorporates some of these principles that, you know, I think you should think about. This is the... Um, Foundations for Farming Test Farm in Harare, Zimbabwe, where they've taken, uh, three Christian white farmers have taken, they had their farms taken away from them. This is like, this is grace. This is an example of grace right here. Um, they decided that they were gonna start a ministry teaching black Zimbabweans how to farm. And one of these guys actually went out to his farm that was taken from him, had been in his family for generations and taught the new owners that had just driven him out of his property how to farm his, his farm. And, and they're doing lessons here and they've taught one of our workers, actually spent some time with them and they're out working on our landscape, pro our garden project there in Harare. Uh, Darren Greenfield came with us there in October and helped us kind of launch things and helped explain to our students and staff some of the principles behind why we want to have successful um, gardens and farms associated with our institutions and did a wonderful job there. It's my wife and daughter. You know, since I was asked to speak here, I, I never know who might be sitting here that might, you know, be willing to come. Um, I, I thought about Alan here and his sister. You know, we went to your presentations in, uh, in Texas about irrigation, and that's a big need that we have there. You know, if you guys could carve out a few weeks to come over and help our kids, that would be, you know, wonderful. And there may be others of you that have interest that would like to come over and help. Not, you know, there's all kinds of needs there. Uh, so this is what I want to tell you. This is my wife, is this little girl at the bottom uh, in the 1960s in New Guinea where her parents took her as missionaries. And uh, her two sisters, her older sister Mary there was at ag agriculture last year and uh, because they, her husband's a surgeon and she had raised a lot of the money for building this orphanage and we went to ag, ag uh, with the hopes of you know, finding some people that might want to help out. And um, anyway, there they are last Sabbath. My wife's middle sister there was diagnosed with stage four cancer um, a week ago. And my wife flew out just immediately to be with her and they're you know, praying and working things out to try to figure out how to best take care of her. So uh, you know, I'd like for you to keep her in your prayers. Um, you know, they're, spending time together, the sisters, you know, just praying, trying to find out what the best therapy and, and approach uh, for her is. But, you know, I know that God creates all, makes all things beautiful in their time, right? And there's a purpose for everything. And so um, we want to encourage you to uh, seek beauty in your lives, in your homes, in your families, in your gardens. And um, 
If you ever want to come to the Pacific Northwest and you take one of these sheets here as you're leaving, I have our contact information. You can come stay in our guest house. This is a barn that we you know, have remodeled with a kitchen and bathroom and you'd be perfectly private and you can explore the Northwest from there. Um, if you come here in the summer, it's, it's really some of the most beautiful uh, scenery in the world. I no longer have any daughters to give away to young men, but you know, there's, there's a lot of beauty up here. Um, and here is, I want to end with this. This is the Houston Valley, uh, which is about an hour and a half from here. Some largest organic pear farm in the world is in this valley. There's still reasonably priced uh, property there. Um, and so, you know, come explore the Northwest and create beauty in your lives. And uh, I thank you for being with me. I'd like to just maybe end with a, a, a prayer um, for you as you create beauty in your lives and uh, also I want you to consider my uh, sister-in-law Mary as they're going through this time together. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, I'm, I'm grateful that you have set eternity in our hearts, that you have uh, said that all things become beautiful in their time and that you will, you're able to even create uh, beauty from ashes. Uh, I pray for each person that's here as they consider their life and um, the intent that you have for them, their families, for their careers, and, and wherever you may guide or lead them. Um, I pray especially for Mary right now, and I, I know that according to your will and for your glory, you can bring healing to her, and I pray that we will leave her in your hands. I pray, Father, that we would um, think of the prayer of, that you gave us that let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the rich man glory in his riches, let not the mighty man glory in his might, but let him that glory and glorify in this, that they know and understand you, the only true God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.